Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Much like Michael Jackson at the start of the Thriller video, St. Totteringham is climbing out of the grave. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. That's right. Don't count St. Totteringham out just yet. They were trying to put that last bit of dirt on his grave. Chelsea couldn't do it. Their half-empty stadium with their crappy fans and their silly lineup, they couldn't do it. Arsenal emerged victorious 4-2 in a night of beautiful chaos, ridiculous chaos, and I enjoyed pretty much every minute of it, except the minutes where it looked like we were going to crap the bed and give it away, but I enjoyed all the other minutes. Uh, It's one of those games that you just want to soak all the joy out of it, and we needed it. Uh, I'd I'd say we've been through some ups and downs this season, and this has changed the feeling, but also the expectation of what's possible. And hope springs eternal, and it's the hope that kills you. It depends which side you see. Seeing all the videos of the away supporters, I mean, who are brilliant, and we have one of them on the podcast, so we're very fortunate for that, although he may be a little froggy for reasons that you will understand. If you are a patron, you will have heard him, um, I think it is fair to say, and I can out him in saying this, uh, quite inebriated, singing some songs from the night and explaining some of the uh, the stadium experience. So I, I hope you enjoyed that. But this is one that I think you can enjoy on on multiple levels. We can enjoy the emotion of it and what it means for the club and how it lifts us. We can try to discuss the tactics of it if you consider pure chaos tactics. I don't know if there's any better way to summarize this than simply, we scored a goal that started with Granite Shack and nutmegging Marcus Alonso on the edge of our own box. That That is the game. If you If you didn't see the game, and I just tell you that, That's all you need to know about the game. And here to try to make any greater sense of it with me is a froggy Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stoberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. I enjoyed the singing uh, quite a bit, I have to admit. (laughs) So did I. (laughs) I hope that came across. Just full question. Do you remember sending me those audio messages? Uh, I I do this time. I must admit, one of the Southampton ones, the, the Southampton one that was used, don't remember sending that. But... I do remember sending this one. It was um, towards the end of the night on my walk home, and I probably woke some of my neighbours up with that. I'll say this about the Southampton one. It preceded an unfortunate event. This one did (laughs) not, so that's that's very good. This put the Uh, coder on a very fortunate event, yes. There you go. There you go. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. And the man who is always right on Twitter, it's Paul. You can find him on Twitter, Pause My Pants, I'll pause. Woohoo! I'm actually only here for the Tim cast to get the full full effect. I can't wait till the podcast comes out later. So I thought I'd be on this live, listen to Tim, get the full <laughs> impact straight into my veins. So here we go. Yeah, here we. Well, we're we're going to start with that because I think it is a good place to start. And Tim, it's it's an interesting occasion. You go to a Stamford Bridge that it wasn't always clear that you'd be able to go there. Whether they'd be able to sell you any tickets, sell themselves any tickets. As it turns out, they weren't able to give themselves the full allocation of tickets, which led to some hilarious singing, which you can add to. And I'm curious, 
if you can, from your vantage point at the stadium, make any sense of what, from my vantage point on my on my couch, didn't make any sense, which is the absolute abject, unbridled chaos of that first yeah. half at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because when the team came out, I was looking at that, and we were talking about it, and I was like, that that's a let's go in nil-nil at half-time team selection if ever I've seen one. And, uh, and and I thought that made a lot of sense. I was kind of hoping Arteta would do that, that it'd be like, okay, let's, let's, you know, let's not lose this in the first 20 minutes type thing. And, and so like, you can't convince me this game went to plan for either team. <laughs> Cause I think Arsenal's plan was very much keep it tight, nothing silly. And instead um, it was all the silliness um, both in our favour and and against us. So I really don't think anyone thought this was going to be 2-2 at half-time, not least because the idea of Arsenal scoring twice in the first half was pretty far, seemed pretty far-fetched. Um, so it, it, it was just chaos. And I think probably a few things contributed to it, though. I think, you know, Arsenal putting out a slightly different lineup. Maybe we had a couple of players who were a bit cold and needed a few minutes to get into the game. Likewise, Chelsea's team. Um, I must admit, I didn't, I didn't look at Chelsea's team before I went into the game. And it was already 2-2 by the time I was like, where's Rudiger? And where's Thiago Silva? Where are those guys? And um, I, I do think that Tuchel made an error in not starting Thiago Silva, albeit he brought him on at halftime and Arsenal scored twice anyway. But when when you don't have Rudiger, I, I appreciate that Thiago Silva's very old now and they had a big game at the weekend and everything. But I wonder if he thinks in hindsight, hmm, had a pretty ropey, slightly inexperienced defence out there and I didn't have Rudiger, so maybe I should have, you know, and Kante's not playing well and you know maybe I should have just like just gone a, a little bit more like conservative at the back but but basically I, th- I think that kind of contributed uh, really <clears throat> just both teams being maybe slightly unfamiliar particularly in defensive positions yeah but I mean just as in terms of like being a supporter at the ground like we've just come off of three games that I think were sort of lifeless in their own way. And and that doesn't mean we weren't good at times in the game, but from sort of an energy and intensity standpoint, and like, even though this had to be nerve wracking, the chaos of it also came with quite a lot of attacking intent really at both ends and Mm -hmm. both defenses looking extremely leaky anytime they were tested. And like, did that make it easier to sort of create a boisterous and energetic atmosphere because the game itself was so boisterous and energetic in its own way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like uh, Arsenal, Chelsea, like Chelsea away, that will always like the first, the build up to kickoff in the first 10 minutes will always be quite boisterous because there's quite a lot of enmity between these two sets of fans. Um, and, you know, I think Arsenal fans kind of relish this as an away game a little bit because it's a, it's kind of a good chance to, for us to, tell Chelsea what we think of them, which is not very much. Um, And obviously, you know, you put everything around it at the moment, like the situation with Chelsea, um, with their ownership. And uh, let's just say how that ties in with geopolitics at the moment and maybe Mm. gently pointing out um, some of that to them. Um, So there's like a lot of rancour. But yeah, of course, if we were like 2-0 down in the first 10 minutes, it would have died pretty quickly. I think what I'd say, Elliot, though, on that kind of, and, and yes, of course, like going one nil up and going two one up, and the the game, the chaos of the game, like basically it kept that level going um, that you always get in the first ten minutes or, or so of Chelsea away. But I think also what's going on this season is actually in the stands, kind of mirrors the pitch, in that 
um, for particularly, I think, away from home at the moment. Like we're being led by the youngsters. <laughs> um, I, I've explained this before about how like away tickets are slightly easier to come by this year and quite a lot of people aren't going because of COVID and things like that. So there's been a bit of a fresh, a bit of a sprucing up um, because what was happening for years was basically the same old people like me were just going to away games for years and years, and 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 it, it had a bit of a stale feel, atmosphere wise. But we, you know, we've got a lot of kind of a lot of guys in their kind of early twenties, late teens, uh, a lot more of, of that age God, group. God bless them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's and what it's done is you know so it's it's maintained that kind of level of enthusiasm um, and and I guess novelty factor as well but what what it's really brought that i absolutely love is just like how much more positive the support is like th- there were times just before the pandemic where i was like we're still like why why is everyone still singing about like emmanuel adebayor and robin van persie like who cares like it had a real like bitter like nasty kind of scowling um vibe to it and now it's much more like it's much more a we're much more focused on the players we actually have rather than players who left like 10 years ago now and and also like even when we do indulge in that kind of um you know more banterous side it is more banterous it's not like nasty like you know stuff about like singing about like robin van Persie being a rapist and stuff like it's like just like fuck off with that like that's just that's that's not that's not what like you know, the, the whole thing should be about. Whereas, you know, it just sucks all the joy out of it. it I mean, it you, really you can does. still make a losing experience sort of, you, you can be, you can banter yourself, right? You can, yeah. you can gallows humor, whatever, but th- that's just, just a joyless mean spirited quality about that. It, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But whereas last night, you know, you had that, like, it's just like the old days, there's nobody here, which, which is just brilliant. Like that, that, that's exactly what like terrorist wit should be like, like taking the piss, but yeah, like not like, going into fucking just horrible areas so well can i ask you then just just real quick like because we we are coming off the back of three losses going into this game do you think it was on on a, on a knife edge in the sense that like had we gone down early do you think the away supporters were ready to turn or is it just that no. thing this season where they're just they're just along for the ride and it's and they're, they're there to support and that's that the, the latter the latter and and you know like who knows how because you know soon enough some of these young lads um they'll be like old and embittered as well um and they'll have been to Stamford bridge 25 times and seen us win like twice and just go oh fucking this again um, so you know but but I, I i really really in fact i got the opposite sense i got the sense that like right this is a time where we have to try and be the 12th man and and that's what should happen with support that's what exactly what should happen like you know like twitter's there like to moan and to bitch and and stuff like that that's kind of what it's there for but like just don't like bring that into the stadium and uh yeah there's there's a much there's a much more positive energy and i i think um full-throated tribute to the kind of the young people that are driving that and to be fair, like I have to admit, it transmits to me, and then it mm-hmm. transmits to how I react to this stuff. Um, and so, it, yeah, it helps everybody. I think just seeing and the you guys having the time of your life and the players. Yeah, I mean, and and it was really clear. interesting listening in, like the the cheer the the cheering you heard and the chants early on were very much the Mikel Arteta uh, song, mm. which is interesting, right? Because like fans have a mixed relationship with Arteta. They're not sure what, but like that song is about the project, right? That's what they're really saying. They're here, they're bought in. 
they've seen the defeats. They don't give a shit. They're here for the project. And like that was from minute one. All I could hear for the first 10 minutes was them going full guns with that song. And yeah. I thought they're here for It's an awesome song, to be fair. And it's it, an easy one to like singing. And it's <laughs> like that, that's defiant, right? And yeah. there would be a lot of people singing that, probably myself included, who, who maybe don't even but well i do buy into the project but you know what i mean there'll, there'll yeah. be people of different stripes yeah like you've got like, questions about mikhail but you're singing that in full-throated yeah voice. exactly it's just like I, i'll leave that for like twitter or my conversation with my mates like in the stadium podcast yeah exactly yeah it's <laughs> like but in the stadium fuck all that like my, my opinions are not important for that i mean yeah. they're not important anyway but like in the stadium it's Agreed, just like yeah. just like fuck off leave the cynicism to one side and just get behind and sing it and that's what i've loved about this season yeah, yeah i agree well well clive let me ask you this we'll, we'll roll back to the lineup in a second but like there is something funny about getting exactly what you hope from the lineup you pick in exactly the way you would not have expected because clive i am sure that when mikel arteta decided i'm going to bring rob holding in and i'm going to bring muhammad el nenny in and I'm going to keep, you know, keep Smith Rowe in and, and bring in, you know, having Kedia start up front again. And like, I'm sure in his mind, this was a keep it a little bit tighter and try to use Enkedia's pace up front to score goals and counter. And like, to be fair, some of that did pay off, but like, there was nothing keeping it tight going on here at all. And I'm wondering if you can sort of explain the dynamic of the first half tactically, because like, when the ball got in either third attack you know our defensive third or or our t- their defensive third it looked like someone was going to score you know i was saying early in the discord this has four three five four six five you know written all over it because and you can understand it from chelsea's standpoint a little bit because i mean look at the defense they picked it's it's not one that they will probably have put out at any point this season i'm guessing um you know and they didn't have Jorginho for the control in midfield and then you look at us and to be fair it was a changed back forward players playing in different positions but do you have do you have a sense of what caused the sort of tactical chaos and particularly defensive chaos that we saw at both ends that I think just typified the whole first half? Yeah, so yeah, when when a team was picked, you have to realize what you're trying to achieve, right? So, and what was different, I think what we've done in recent weeks, we've played with an internal diamond, trying to overload inside and really try to expand from the outside, keep our wing forwards very, very wide. Combine and then and then smash into the middle and get your shots off there, right? So that's been sort of rumbled a little bit, and our our pivot nine has been really marked tightly. And then his plan B option to run the sides isn't there because that's not his game anymore. And so we, that means we can double up when the other teams are double up in the wide areas, and they're stopping us. They're stopping our link. They're stopping our link to party, and we've been stopped. So what are you trying to achieve? So when you're playing against the back three, like Chelsea's back three. One of the things you have in that system, I, I call it pitch coverage. You cover the pitch on both sides with wing backs. You're quite spread, but you do cover the pitch and you can create patterns that really control areas. But the pitch, when you're playing a team like Chelsea, is bigger. So you have to be really fit to stop them getting out, really compact, and you have to be really flexible. And I haven't rewatched the game fully yet, but I did catch the interview pre-game with Arteta when he was talking about flexibility, you'll see how we want to play. I think within this game, you know, we didn't talk about it last night, but we should have made him a stock rising because tactically, I thought he was brilliant in this game, but picking a team of players that could play in a number of systems depending on the game state, depending on where they were on the pitch, whether they were high, whether they were low, they were low, they went to a back five when they were high. 
up on the half line. They sometimes flipped to a four. They sometimes went to a four three three. They sometimes went to a four two three one, and he did that without making a substitution. And that, and that must have took a lot of work. And so, first things first, you have to match them. You have to cover the pitch. You have to match them. Where they did us was far more on when we won the ball. We lost it very, very quickly. So that old regain retain thing I always talk about. And that's why it looked disorganised because they were trying to nick it off us and we were trying to nick it off them. So both teams looked disorganised because you're most disorganised when you just turn over the ball. And that's why things were happening there. So, and plus we had rusty players and rusty players do stupid things, right? And so as soon as they get their legs, they start to do better things. So that was the case on both sides. But one thing I do think Arsenal did very, very well was they they made the pitch bigger. And when they made it bigger, then that led to our speed and Eddie's speed and Saka's speed and Smith Rowe's ability to join in and Odegaard's speed of thought suddenly we had the ability to basically you know, traverse through the thirds, right, and get onto a transition and start to play our pattern play on the move. So it's one touch, pass, move, get up behind it, keep it moving, zigzag one side to the other, switch the point of the attack, don't stay in one area too long, switch the point. And that's what we did, and, and it worked beautifully. And, you know, I just look at the screen thinking, oh, my God, we look dangerous we look dangerous when we're compact, but we look dangerous when we're breaking out. And I thought, absolutely, I thought Arteta had a fantastic coaching day for me. Uh, I know it didn't look fully organised, but what we've done, we've opened up a new style of play. And that means we've got more danger. And when you've got more danger, you can't start to mark the star boys. So um, I thought it was a very effective day for the coaching staff. Yeah, well, so Paul, let me let me ask you about that. I mean... It is the reality of uh, not just football, any sport, that when coaches, managers make big decisions and they go wrong, they are going to come in for criticism. And when they go right, they they deserve to get the plaudits. I just think this is an interesting one in a way because these decisions that Mikel made went spectacularly right. I just wonder if you could get a few drinks in him and, and have him be honest, if he would say, but maybe not in the way you might have expected. But, you know, I do think, you know, obviously Nketiah getting a couple of goals is wonderful for him in a week where he had just said, I'll take the blame if I don't score goals, if given the chance, but I want to run in the side. Mikel gives it to him. He turns up with a crucial brace at Stamford Bridge. Doesn't get more poetic than that. You know, but like, like I said, in picking Elneny and picking Holding and, you know, some of that lineup might have been with an eye towards a bit of solidity. He didn't get that in the first half. He did get from Eddie something, though, that has been missing, which is just that feeling that your center forward can make life very uncomfortable for a tetchy, nervy center back. He did that on two occasions and got his two goals. And so, you know, how do you react to the idea that, like, he made these big calls? They are calls that I think, you know, would obviously have been for some people very questionable. They definitely worked out, but maybe didn't work out exactly in the way he might have anticipated. I'm going to go with it worked out exactly how he anticipated. Like, okay. uh, obviously, the narrative of the within the game, who scored first, all that kind of stuff. But we needed, there was no way he wanted to sit back for 90 minutes. Um, right you saw from how the, mad he was after the Smith Rowe goal, though, right? Like, he was furious with the way we were defending in our, in our defensive third. I, I don't think he was comfortable with the way we played that out from the back, particularly. No, but like, what was going on here, and Clive covers it well, right? There were different. Si- 
you, you can't say we played a, a three, a five at the back or a four at the back. It was continually adjusting depending on who was where. It was almost like this player is a trigger for that player. So how often, for a wing back, how often was Saka early in the game pressing their back line? A lot. What happened? Ben White filled up onto the right-hand side and we were basically into a, a shape of a four. And uh, his experience playing in a, a three at Brighton paid off handsomely because he was the same. Like, Gabriel wasn't doing what White was doing. And so in-game, continually, there was this adjustment depending on how much control we were, we had, whether we were pressing their back line in their final third, whether we were in possession, we were basically always playing as a four. And like when Saka would go up, either Odegaard would cover um, Alonso or White would cover Alonso. And so it was like, it wasn't actually just Saka and White who were interchanging responsibilities. It was you'd see Saka push up and he'd, he'd be shouting at Odegaard that he hadn't filled in behind him or El Nenny would fill. It was almost about positions. And like, this was classic positional play, I think, as we moved up the the, the pitch. It, it wasn't that El Nenny had to be here or Odegaard had to fill in behind when Saka was pressing or White had to get on to Alonso. It was, there were other assignments going on all the time. Like they had to watch Mount dropping into a pocket. So, White would latch onto him, or if White was busy with Alonso, you'd see Holding drop onto him, and like all through the first half, and I think I think you could say across the whole game, we created more dangerous situations than they did. We've turned into an actually very good counter-attacking team, which you know we've been regarded as being a good counter-attacking team for most of the last decade, and I actually think we've mostly been terrible, even when we had Alexis and Ozil, uh, and even Walcott knocking around. I don't actually think we were particularly good at it repeatedly. And these guys, they string the passes together, they're lethal. And the flexibility came into it because not only was Saka our wingback, he was the guy that was our root out, our ball up the pitch. And uh, in in fact, often it was uh, Ramsdale going long to him, or... uh, Swinging it, swinging it over to Saka to stretch their um, their back of Sar and Alonso um, and terrorizing them that way. So there had to be a huge amount of flexibility. I think this was very much uh, like he mightn't have known exactly how he played out, but I think this was very much his plan. And he talked afterwards about having three, four different set options. The other <coughs> thing is that I would say that on the other side, uh, Tuchel himself has been pretty flexible recently in adjusting between a three and a four. And I think mm, Arteta, yeah. those two were dancing all through this game in terms of how they were setting up and adjusting. I also think it's what caused us our problems because those gaps, uh, the unfamiliarity, particularly on White's side with White holding, you know, who was filling in there with midfielders, it both created our flexibility and our attack and it also led to why we were a little vulnerable ourselves, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, look, to one of your points, I definitely think you could say a way to be better at counterattacking is to have a a guy at center forward who can run, and I do think that that, that helped. Um, <clears throat> you know, and that's an interesting thing, Tim. Like, the Enkedia performance is not some vintage striker performance. It's not some 
world-class display of sensational football. I mean, there he does have the giveaway for their first, second goal? Is it the second goal? First. It's the first goal. Okay, yeah. he has the giveaway there. That's not great. He also has the Saka beats Alonzo like a rented mule and then slides it to Nketiah who kicks it off his own foot um, wide. But like Nketiah scores brace. I'm not beating him up. What I'm saying is <clears throat> you don't need your center forward to be prime Thierry Henry, right? What we got from Nketiah was running and running and running and making those center backs of Chelsea have to shit themselves just a little bit, knowing they don't have that extra time. And that's what it took. Now, the first goal, I think, is sensational quality with the finish. The second goal is hustling and running and working hard and, and get and earning your luck a little bit. And I think it's a reminder that this sense that a center forward has to do X, Y, and Z things is something that we've just overly committed to as an idea when actually, like, there are a lot of different ways a center forward can use their skills to influence a game. And Nketiah did just that. So I'm curious how you think of his performance and maybe what it says just about how we think about this position generally in the sense that we don't, we don't need to pigeonhole it as needing to be one thing or another. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're right. Like I, I think we've become obsessed by the idea that it has to be Lacazette um, or, or rather like Lacazette's qualities and like, you can't do it any other way. Um, you know, and, and look, that might be the best fit for this team, but I, what Inketia really gives you is, um, and we've seen it several times now, the way he can nick the ball off of players. Um, he's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if that makes him good at pressing um, or not, but we've seen it a few times now. We've seen him score goals by like just following in on goalkeepers and and chasing things down, and that that's something he he does that Lacazette doesn't. Um, at, at the same time, I want to be cautious about kind of um, like heralding Inketia as the new saviour. I, I think we've um, like quite understandably we've got like a bit of a saviour complex in the fan base because we don't really see where the goals are coming from, mm-hmm. and it's a bit like is Lacazette going to do it? Is he going to like you know get give us the goals that fire us into the Champions League and then ride off into the sunset? And then and now it's like Inketia. It's like okay, here we go. Is Inketia going to do it? And and I think the truth is neither of them are going to do that that's i mean they might um but it, it's probably unlikely i think the best that we can wish for is that between them they can do something like that and and what eddie's done for himself i think first of all he has got himself in the starting lineup on saturday um and that's and and he's earned that and that's the first thing um, for him. Um, I mean, he's leaving us next season, so it's not really a project to be that invested in. But mm. that that's, you know, as, as he contemplates this today, I think he can say, okay, that's the step I've taken. I'm probably in the team on Saturday. And then on Saturday, it's another exam I'm sitting to keep the shirt because if I drop a four out of 10 and have five touches and get dragged off after 55 minutes, I don't have the shirt again for West Ham. So it's, you know, it's, it's, but, but his, his qualities, you know, his qualities are interesting because I think he's probably the closest we have to someone who can link play a bit and score a bit. I don't think he's amazing either of those things at the highest level, but he can kind of do a bit of both. Whereas with like Lacazette, you get kind of, generally speaking, we haven't seen it lately, but generally speaking, really good link-up play, but no threat. Or you have Martinelli, who's who's got threat, but like no link-up play. And I do think actually when Eddie went off, that was a big thing. We kind of, initially, we missed that. We missed like having someone 
who could get the ball to feet with their back to goal and it kept coming back on us. I do think the players adapted to Martinelli up front though and they kind of said, okay, like let's not hit him, let's hit the channel and have him run after it. That was the the, the adaption they made. So look, Ed, Eddie's got himself the shirt for Saturday, 100%, and he can enjoy and deservedly enjoy the hell out of this. Um, and, and you know, but but for him, he's got to build on that. Um, now this is this is a fantastic opportunity for him for his career to finish this season really strongly and then probably go somewhere at like th- this is the momentum he he can start to build the momentum he hasn't had in his whole career but I I am I am really pleased for him I, I have to say I didn't really see this coming um, and and I I guess I'd like just to put a coder on well it. I mean he's had no no goals this season so like you're not yeah. you're not crazy for not seeing that coming no no um, but you know he's he's probably got a point in terms of if he's not starting games, like he's not really going to score goals with bits yeah, of minutes yeah, yeah. here and there. But I think the the other thing about the second goal, though, I think Tavares deserves a load of credit, um, not just for kind of uh, getting onto the loose ball, but the way he passes in Ketia that ball, it's like you're not getting your back to goal and tapping this back to someone. I'm whacking this into your feet because I want you to turn and go. And don't get me wrong, Eddie might have done that anyway, but I think the way Tavares hits that pass, like basically says, like forces him to right turn and go for goal. Whereas I think if Tavares just rolls it to him, the most likely thing is, you know, back to goal, defender up his backside, he lays it off and we try and go again. So I think Tavares for the intent on that pass uh, really deserves a lot of the credit for that goal. Yeah, well said. And, and Clive, I think this was a very, very young team. The front three, very young. The, you know, the back line, very young. The goalkeeper, very young. And right there in the middle of the park, there are two experienced players to stitch it all together. And we needed Shaka and El Elneny to play important roles in an important game. One player who has been much maligned, but probably more than he deserves. Another player who's basically been forgotten, and maybe understandably so. But when you have a team that young and you need some composure, I mean, you could see the nerves and the loss of confidence. The goals we conceded, I think, reflected just a lack of... A, a lack of, not just focus, but a lack of confidence defensively. There were a lot of scrambles around the box where it just looked like anything could happen. But I think this game came under control, especially in the second half, and was held together by two very, very credit-worthy performances from our senior central midfielders. Now, and then he started a little shaky, a little rusty, gave the ball away a bit. As you can understand, he's played, what, once this season? Not for months. But Shaka, I mean, from his nutmeg on Alonso to start the goal run to really everything he did in this game had the kind of performance that you have to hold your hand up and say that that was leadership right there. And I've been critical of that in the past, so I need to do it. I mean, how important do you think their experience their I mean, maybe not immediately, but ultimately composure and, and leadership on the pitch were to this performance? Because I think both of them deserve a lot of credit for helping a young team through this. Yeah, I often talk about the balance of teams and the size and the, the physicality and the maturity of a team. And it's a difficult balance, right? And we all saw what parties brought to the team recently. But in in these recent games, what I felt from watching us is I felt we looked very young. It's almost like there's a, there's a feeling sometimes when a boxer goes into a fight, they're both walking to the ring and they look the same size. But the defeated boxer looks smaller as mm-hmm. he's walking back to the dressing room. 
and they don't look as brave. And I felt we've looked a bit small. The same players look bigger last night. They look stronger. They look they look more together. I know that's, that's very soft, but you know what I mean when I say that. You can tell by how we move and how joined up we are together and how balanced that we look. And I've sort of been... I've been calling for Rob Holding because of this. Not because I think he's, you know, he's Beresi or anything like that, but he brings something to the group which makes other people feel bigger and more solid in their roles. I think El Nene and Shaka also epitomise that. It's not always what they do, it's what they bring that allows the star people to do what they need to do. But they need to feel comfortable with doing it. They don't, they need these stability rods I call them you know I think Tom Yass is a major stability rod to this team and he's hugely missed and when he's back we're going to see a difference and I thought these two guys in there did that and we didn't really give El Nene a lot of props last night but we I've seen this before by the way with him his first game back from a long layoff is always brilliant always worry about his second game if I'm waiting for you <laughs> but um, his first game back he's always he's really really good and he did have a good African nation so He's a player that another one that we could potentially say we've not quite utilised appropriately. And, and you guys know this has been on my mind for a little while. I didn't mind reducing the squad, but make sure you use the people that you have and don't be scared of rotation. And we're seeing the benefits of this rotation because now we're looking at all different options, different ways of playing. Who knew? And not only are we quite surprised by that, the, the analysts, not that Manchester United have any analysts, but the analysts that are watching us, not sure how we're going to play at the weekend. Unlike Patrick Vieira, who stayed there and, and ambushed us, waiting for us, knowing exactly how we're going to play. Right, So I will give those two guys praise, because after, what, five, six years they've been at the club now? I'm not too sure. That's a long time we're still talking about Shaquille and Elneny, and I think there is a there's always been a ceiling to them in my mind. But with this group... Their, their roles have become more and more defined and the ceiling for their game has slightly changed. And because of the, the partners that they're playing with and the people that are around them and the youth and vivaciousness by which they play, suddenly they've become really important. And I would I would say right now, Granit Xhaka could be the most important player in the team. And I never thought I would ever say that. But right now he is the coach, He's the most important player in this team. He's directing things and he's allowed to just because his role has been defined due to his age and experience. And then he's a, a very good rub into that Batman. And yeah. I, I felt safe watching them play, right? I felt safe. A few dodgy sideways passes, but we always do that. But I felt pretty safe. Yeah, and important is not the same as best, right? Like, Oh, um, the best player in our team wears number seven, right? Yeah, yeah. Simple yeah, as that. Second, no question. No, I agree. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's the best player in the team. I just sent out a comp to you guys on the on the WhatsApp. I mean, it, you need to see it. <laughs> I think I'm not even sure. Sometimes you're too close. It's like a it's like a relative. You don't notice that they're growing because you see them all the time. Do you know what I mean? A young kid. Mm. This kid is so good. I am not even sure we can see it. I don't think we're looking closely enough. His performance last night was stunning. Absolutely stunning. He's by far the best player in our team. He, he's, he's probably should have be... had two, two assists, right? Because the, the, the one in Caddy is really good, but then also he had a curling, like, in-swinger to the far post that no one really made a run for that would have been a, a tap-in header you know, slotted in. And just, he's, he's been, he was on it last night, start to finish. He, he was. And 
if you Tim was at Southampton, so I don't know if he if he felt this, but I, I watched this one cold and if you, if you watch it when we were struggling, he was making so many runs to get in to get shots. I mean, he was trying to lead us. He's developing into a leader right in front of us. He'll wear the captain's armband one day. He's developing into a leader. When he grabbed the ball for the penalty, I couldn't believe my eyes. He is developing into something beyond my wildest expectations. And I, I do think sometimes you need to step back and breathe and say, okay, how good is this kid? Is he going to be our most sadder? Or will he turn out to be our Kevin De Bruyne? I'm not sure where, that's, where he's going to end up. But he is leading us, and I just, you know, I just hope we can uh, put enough people around him so he reaches his ambitions at Arsenal for sure. Yeah, Paul, I hate to do this to you, but I want to go through some moments of the, of the match, and two of the moments we got to go through are their goals, and <laughs> like it, it, it is this weird thing because we've been praising Ramsdale and White and Gabriel, you know, and, and obviously Tomiyasu when he was available, and 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 all that, and like. Defending most of the season, even though we've conceded more goals than last season, I think partly because we've played a more uh, attacking style and pushed more assets, resources up the pitch, but it's been good individually. And I think one thing that we've seen during the run we were on that was bad is some individual errors defensively creeping in. And in this game, I think you saw some of the the culmination of and the the weight of that self-doubt creeping in. There was just a lot of sloppiness in our own box. I mean, the Smith-Rowe goal is a stunning piece of back-to-front football with an absolutely breathtaking finish at the end, a lovely pass, you know, carry and pass from Saka to, to Odegaard, who finds Smith-Rowe arriving. It's beautiful. But, like, the passage of play in our own box before that happens had, you know, Arteta having kittens. And I'm curious how you look at their goals because I just think that that, that little bit of chaos in the box, I think, do you think maybe that, like, that's as easy to fix as just winning because by the by the second half when we sat a little deeper and we were protecting the lead, I thought we looked a little bit more comfortable. But do you have a good explanation for their goals and how we how we just sort of looked a little bit chaotic back there? Um, well, I think there were quite big gaps between players for them to play through along the way. And I think it was just a function like the first goal we're trying to play out. Um, so we're not in a defensive setup. That happened uh, quite a bit, right? Just dodgy clearances. <laughs> yeah, but I I feel, uh, I can sense I feel about it differently to you. I, I think that was just the price of the way we played. You like trying to counterattack back to front kind of stuff? Yeah, and a different setup. Like we don't mm-hmm. play in this shape normally. It's not normally True. white on the touchline or him and Sack interchanging or white following Mount. Or, like, uh, first off, this is how Chelsea do you with the move, like, uh, Werner can't finish, though he did did get that jammy deflection in this game. Doesn't it just figure the guy can't yeah. score into an open net, and then he finally gets a goal with a, a, a random deflection from outside the box yeah. against us? Yeah. But what he can do is the movement. Yes. and the, mm-hmm. the, So the problem him and Mant are going to give you is loads of movement, and you, put, you layer that on top of us with a totally radical setup, bringing in uh, Rob Holding, but with fairly complicated assignments – it's not ju- we weren't just asked to sit in a back five. They didn't attack us while we were set as a back five. They, they, they caught us when we were in an at- more of an attacking set. The gaps were a bit off. Like uh, from the, the Werner shot, we actually have two, three guys, two guys in a line, right? You have, you have Chaka and Holding effectively on, on the same line with Ramsdale. 
and it's like it just doesn't look right to me that that the spacings are right or whatever but i didn't freak out too much because um on the one hand it's not a normal setup on the other hand that's kind of what they do and we were kind of hitting the attacking mode at that time and we saw a number of occasions where we were looking to attack and build from the back. We were being brave, basically, in a somewhat unfamiliar setup that was working for us, but also working for them. It was basically saying, let's, ha- let's, let's have a knife fight. Like the last time we, we played them like this a year ago in May, we won 1-0 with a jammy goal, which we scored early on. has a familiar ring to it, but not nearly as pretty as our jammy goals in this one, which had plenty have of skill and panache to them mixed into the good fortune. Um, and then we sat in and we hung on and nobody enjoyed, we enjoyed the result. Nobody enjoyed the performance. We were, there was a lot of soul searching about, is this who we are? Is this what we should be doing? And once it, that was behind closed doors, so there wasn't much atmosphere and we didn't get to torture the, the Chelsea supporters like we did this time and watch them fall out, out among themselves and with the players. Oh, but, and with their grounds crew, don't forget, because yeah. Tom Tuchel said, said it was the fault of the, uh, it was the fault, their pitch was terrible. Yeah, yeah and it, that works both ways, of course. But what we did see was a very brave uh, risk-taking-on performance that played off, like we played out from the, we, we didn't go long and then sit deep. We played out from the back, we took <laughs> risks. That's how we got our second our second goal, in effect. And so I just thought it was a risk we took um, and I was okay with it. The, 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 there were plenty of mistakes there because of how we were looking to play bravely out from the yeah. back, how we were <clears> set up, um, etc. So I think that's where the gaps came. If we, if we, mm. we saw in the second half when we kind of adjusted to the, the game state and to get a bit more control, that those gaps weren't there anymore. And yeah. we managed them. Yeah, and, and one thing that, and maybe, not that Arteta got wrong, but maybe it was a challenge from the way he set up, is that like, the player who seemed to be struggling the most to me was Rob Holding in terms of with the ball at his feet. And by playing him as the center center back, I don't know if this was by design, it felt like he wound up with a lot of responsibility for that first pass out or the clearances. And he he looked a little shaky. Um, you know, and that's not not to kill the guy, but like I, I thought that he was the one in that sort of chaotic period who seemed a little rattled especially on the ball Clive you want to add a little bit on that before we uh yeah, shift well, gears to some more happy topics like gold <laughs> yeah just just you know it's interesting what teams have done to sort of stop Saka in recent weeks so a lot of teams have just kicked him basically and get around him well, I thought what Chelsea did which was quite clever is they um they overloaded our right hand side so they got Alonso Werner and Mount really pressuring in that side and going left and coming in on and what they were hoping to do was drag Saka back and ruin his attacking game. But he did some defending, but a lot of attacking. So it's a bit of cat and mouse. Okay, you going to leave me? you going to leave me that Malang <laughs> Cheers, lads, mm-hmm. I'll take him. If Lonzo, if you come back, <laughs> if you come back, I'll take you as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then it was like, how can we get you out of the game by making you do lots of work and then you come off after 70 minutes? And they really kept Alonso high and he cheated. And that was where the pressure came onto White and Holding. And that was their game. So we had to make sure that we exit out on the left-hand side, all the right hands. I didn't really matter. But we had to be brave and decide, when are we going to keep Saka high? When are we going to drop him low? And that was the flexibility of our of our system, really. I thought 
is why I thought Saka had a tremendous game. I thought both are widest players in Nuno the other. I thought they were both exceptional for different reasons. And um, obviously from different levels, obviously, because Nuno's a, a, a starting player and Saka's already a world star, in my opinion. But that was a cat and mouse. Alonso cheating, Werner on that side, and Mount underpinning them to really try to shake our right channel around holding and white and really bring Saka back. But we won the cat and mouse race and got the goals and Saka was involved in them. So all good. All good. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I want, I want to talk about Smith-Rose goal again and some more. I want to talk about the penalty. We could probably skip talking about Mason Mount, who tried to get two red cards, but John Moss refused to give him. I mean, like, I'm glad, I'm relieved that we don't actually have to put a lot of time into that. But, like, it really is frustrating. I, I guess when we come to the penalty, we can talk about how maybe we got the last laugh. Um, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what everyone has to say about the penalty. But, you know, Mother's Day is around the corner in the United States. I don't know. Actually, Clive, when is, when is Mother's Day in the UK? Are you trying to embarrass me in front of all the mothers out there? We, we've just had it. Oh, I know that. <laughs> okay, okay. So this this won't be as relevant to you. It will be more relevant to Americans. But obviously, like the the thing that moms want more than anything is to know that they raised a good child, right? So what are the things that moms want to know? They want to know that like you, you wash behind your ears, right? That's the thing they always said. Mom wants to know you wash behind your ears, and of course, she wants to know that you're shaving your privates, and. You know, I mean, you don't want to disappoint mom. So do what it takes. Be properly shaved and prepared for Mother's Day. That goes for men and women. And so this is your chance. The perfect Mother's Day gift <clears throat> is your proof that you are properly grooming yourself. A well-groomed son or daughter. Go to manscaped.com and use promo code ArsenalVision. You'll save 20% and get free worldwide shipping when you get the lawnmower 4.0 and deliver the perfectly shorn body, a well-groomed body as a Mother's Day gift. This is so gross. Like, it is just the worst, the absolute worst. But don't do it for that reason. Do it for all the other reasons. The basic point here, everybody does some personal grooming. If you're going to put blades by your privates, please use the best product for that. This is a PSA, a public service announcement. And the Lawnmower 4.0 has skin-safe technology with ceramic blades designed for loose, floppy skin. Let's face it, we've got some loose, floppy skin down there, and we do not want the blades cutting it. We want it cutting the hair. And that's what it does. Long battery life, LED lights so you can see what you're doing. It works in the shower. It's wet, dry. A travel lock button, induction charger so you just sit it in a cradle. The thing is beautiful. I, it's been in my shower for probably six weeks now without having to be charged. So get the lawnmower 4.0, and you can even get the performance package 4.0, which comes with a weed whacker, which does nose and ear hair, which unfortunately at my age I am now having to use. You may as well. Tonics, lotions, deodorants, shed bag, boxers. We're in the boxers right now, in fact. Do it now. Go to manscaped.com. Use promo code ArsenalVision. Save 20% off and free shipping. I could have read to you their Champions League copy. I read it last time. I won't read it again. But they basically say that you should be uh, the, the champion of Man City and you don't want any messy balls. And it just, they, it's pun central over there. Now, once you've proven to your mom that you are a great groomer, prove to your mom that you're a great business owner by getting the best talent for your business with Indeed. That's right. Indeed is the only place where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. When people go on job sites looking for jobs, it's, it's a mess, and they don't know what jobs to apply to. But the thing I like is with Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes that match your job description. You can invite them to apply. So they are really fired up about you, and then you only pay for the quality applications that you must have requirements. That is called a virtuous circle. And I learned that in school, so that I can prepare myself for the job that I don't presently have. That's another story. 
It's the only job site where you're guaranteed to find those quality candidates or you don't pay. Now, how good are they? Well, according to Talent Nest, they deliver four times more hires than every other job site combined. How about that? According to Comscore, the number one job site worldwide. Start hiring right now with a $75, $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posted indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through April 30th. 75 US dollars. That's that's almost like four pounds. I'm kidding. It's probably like 50 pounds. Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Go to indeed.com slash blue wire to claim your $75 sponsored job credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash blue wire. Our podcast daddy. Terms and conditions apply. I need to hire you. Need Indeed Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Indeed. Damn straight. Tim. Tim. Yes. My goodness, this Emil Smith Rowe is a goal scoring machine. Yes, some of the regression hit. Yes, yes, some of the regression hit, and he didn't score with every shot he's taken the last few games, and that has uh, unfortunately cost us. But I loved that goal. I love Granite Shack and Nutmegging Alonso. I love Bukayo Saka carrying it down the pitch. I love him sliding it across to Odegaard. I love Odegaard having eyes in the back of his head, sliding it to Smith Rowe, who runs onto it and just passes it into the corner. The guy has to be in the team because he's got goals. And for a team that doesn't have goals, he's got goals. He His footwork on the top of the box to just pass the ball by the side of the post later on was also beautiful. Mm. I'm not sure ML Smith throws the player I thought he was. I thought he was this, this number 10. Hell, he wears the number 10, right? Pull the strings, pass the ball. I don't know that his passing is as clean or as sharp or as precise as it should be. It turns out he's, he's, he's got that Aaron Ramsey thing. Mm. right arrive late and and score run with the ball and no one can stop you like he he's he's sort of an enigma i think we're still learning about him but he has goals and that one was beautiful yeah absolutely i i you know i i said last season uh this guy's got goals in him. That that's what he was doing in the youth team, coming off the left, cutting on, cutting in on the right foot, um, and scoring lots of goals. It's just kind of a shame we've got two, two 20, 21 year old players who do that. Um, well, it's not yeah, that's a, shame, a shame, really. But... Yeah, it's too bad. <laughs> Darn it! <It's, laughs> we'll have to get rid of one of those quick. <laughs> <laughs> it, it'd be quite nice if uh, you know one of them went through the centre, maybe. But um, but yeah, just a lovely, lovely finish. Just the whole goal, and to Paul's point earlier about you know there was some like high risk high reward football here which kind of went wrong a couple of times but at the same time like this one <laughs> Granit Xhaka nutmegging uh, Marcos Alonso on the edge of his own area I mean inject that um, someone like crumble that into a fine powder for me um, and chop it out because um, I enjoyed that and the, the, the whole goal was was just really really well put together i think you'd probably call that like the signature arteta arsenal goal mm. now but the, the the finish itself is just is just wonderful just got um a real pires quality to it just like coming off that left hand side and then just passing the ball in the net and it was such a such a surprising finish as well like i really think it caught mendy off guard it caught me off guard i was um up a tier behind the other goal but had like a, a really really good view from behind really nice height and it's just one of those where the shot selection is just completely surprising it reminded me a bit of um i don't even remember a goal theo walcott scored away at shakhtar donetsk in 2010 where he goes through one-on-one um but he takes the shot so really outside of the early. Bo- out of the yeah, box yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And he just passes, and and it's just the element of surprise completely takes. It, it reminded me of that finish a little bit, and I think just the element of surprise. And 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 I'll look, tell you mate, another goal. It's a bit like Tim. This the goal against City, the one where 
Saka takes it off yeah. uh, Lacazette's toes. It's Tierney coming up the other side, the ball into Saka instead of Smith Rowe this time. And he as well passes into the goal and the, and the keeper's left for dead. It, it's kind of, there's, there's almost a mirror image quality about it to your point of it being the Arteta kind of yeah. goal. Yeah, yeah, that that whole like back to front thing, and yeah, 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 and and the thing is as well for Smith Rowe, you know, like like he's kept getting in the positions, and like you say, in terms of his variance this season, maybe he's running a bit hot in the first half of the season, but and, and you know, there's two ways of looking at it. Maybe you know that just catches up with you a little bit, but ultimately, if you just keep doing it, eventually you'll start running hot again. Um, and you, you'll get your just desserts. And what I really liked about it as well is he's had, you know, he's had big chances in similar positions in that kind of inside left channel in the last couple of games, and they've not quite gone in or they've been blocked. And you know, and 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 he's not been de- not only not deterred, but to, I think to go for that shot when you've had a couple that have perhaps been you know struck into the ground or blocked recently when the pressure's really on you, like to, to select that shot, like absolutely fair play. And, and I think, I think what we're seeing now is what I always saw in some of those youth games that he's, he's a bit of a natural um, at this. And yeah, absolutely. I, I fully expect him to be the sort of player that gets into double figures, you know, uh, fitness permitting every season. Yeah. I mean, and it and it is the case that like maybe it's not the solution this season where he and Martinelli and Saka and Odegaard all start games, but like that that could be what happens. It could yeah. also be that they share games and they share rotation and like that that helps everybody too. I mean, we are going to have European football next season, whichever variety it is. There's going to be games that need to be shared around. So like the I am definitely prone to the hand wringing. I am a warrior. That's why my friends call me Whiskers. But like. I am prone to the, well, if he starts, that means Martinelli to start. Martinelli starts, what do we do? But like, as Clive always points out, it doesn't take just 11 players to, to get through a game or to get through a season. Yeah, and, and also Smith Rowe, like we, we know we need to manage him physically still. He is, you know, he has been, we think, playing with a bit of an injury for the last last few months, um, if anything, so that he he does require management. And, you know, maybe this like Smith-Rowe-Martinelli thing is maybe a little bit of inspiration for what should happen at left-back um, yeah. next season, where we, we're, I think, realistically, we're going to have to manage Tierney physically. Um, and so whether, you know, whether like Tavares really, really does make that, that role his own or whether we sign someone else, like... Yeah, maybe that, and maybe we end up on that left side. Maybe it can be mix and match, but maybe we get another left back or whatever, and you know, and we play them in pairs. Maybe it's like Tierney and Smith Rowe, and you know, other left back and Martinelli. You know, it, it it could go that way. It could you could design the squad that way. I think if you wanted to, I'll yeah. go the other way. Actually, Tim, I'll go Tierney and Martinelli. Yeah, yeah. I'd go, I'd go Nuno and Smith Rowe. Based on yeah. this season's evidence, when when Smith Rowe was flying, Nuno was playing, and I think that's that's I think Smith Rowe. I said last night he's he's better in the pocket, and I think if we when we get a fast forward, a really good one, I think he'll be better um, because he needs stretchers to stretch the game around him, then he can see the space and then do his stuff, and I think that's when I've seen him this year be his best game. Villa at home was a great example of of a good Smith Rowe game worth and that yeah. and that stayed in my mind really. So. Can we do this just real quick because 
I, I want to get that out of the way and then we can get on to more interesting stuff. But like, uh, and I want everybody to just have their say. So Tim, I'll stay with you first. Let's not do a big analysis of it. Let's just each have our say on it and move on. The penalty at the end of the game. Mm. Like, Saka pulls the oldest trick in the book, and I love it. And I can't believe VAR didn't overturn it, and I love that more. Th- th- I-, I tweeted this at the time, but VAR giving us a guilty pleasure penalty to seal a game at Stanford Bridge after screwing us the entire season is absolute poetic justice. But, like, to me... Aspilicueta kind of puts his arm in to just kind of feel for Saka and run with him. And Saka pins that arm down Mm -hmm. and makes it so Aspilicueta's attempt to like try to get his arm away looks like he's pulling, but Saka has his arm pinned down so Aspilicueta cannot pull it away. And like the Chelsea fans are absolutely livid and certain of this, which makes it even funnier. Aspilicueta lost his mind so much he actually went over and yelled at Chelsea fans at full time, which makes it even funnier. But to me... Like, this is a stonewall case of dark arts, and, and it's not a penalty, and I love it, and that doesn't take anything away from Saka, who very cheekily, in his post-match interview, said, I had to go down. You know, he's holding me for, for, for minutes while I'm running in the box. I love it, but, like, surely that's what happened. Do, do you? Because some people have said mm. to me, you're crazy. It's a stonewall penalty, and, like, I don't think either argument is a, is a criticism. I just don't yeah, I yeah. see it as, as dark arts, you know? A, a little bit, a little bit, yeah. It, it's the kind that... Um, you know, every team in the Premier League will have several players who would who would try to do the same thing, and I, I do think Saka, you know, can be tricksy um, around the box and and search for contact and things like that. And I am fine with that. Um, so yeah, I, I more or less agree with your assessment. I think it's one of those where it like it is a penalty. It's it's a 2022 penalty. It's it's one of those you know almost like seeking contact penalties, but that like they're pretty much always given, or 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 it feels like they should always be given. That's just that's just the way they are now. So yeah, I I I I think it it was a penalty, but one we earned. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, Okay. So, uh, Clive, your say on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a penalty, and I think this is where TV doesn't always help. And there's no, I'm not sure if it's a, is it, it was at your end, was it Tim the penalty to your end? It was indeed. It was yeah, right yeah. in front of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was at your end. So there's an angle that I caught this morning. Where actually the reason why John Moss came in is not for the last contact, but for the first contact as he was running into a box. Aspilicueta got hold of Saka really early, and that's when the foul happened. The bit you see at the end is where it's 50-50, and it's a tug on each other, but he stopped him getting to the spot. So he stopped him getting to the cross, which he'd have got there first. So that was a foul. So he impeded him, impeded his run. The ball's, you know, the ball's outside of playing distance, was on its way, and he thought, right, he let it play, let it play, let it play, and then brought it back. But the first contact was a definite foul on Saka. So stonewall penalty for me. But what the bits on TV, you just see the 50-50 tug. And that's why I let you walk away with that assessment. So, Yeah. Uh, Paul? Yeah, I think Clive nailed it. And I think what I really liked about the penalty was uh, Saka's assuredness of what he was doing and where he was at in the game and what to do at that point and how to get his penalty and that afterwards he didn't blink, and that afterwards he took the ball and Martinelli was a little bit afraid of him, and that afterwards he stepped up for the penalty. And I actually wasn't nervous, um, 
And actually, he he did it all like he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder and that that's how him and Smith Rowe played this game. You know, you go up a goal and you think, oh, great, let's hold on. Like, we went up a goal, they leveled it. We went up a goal, they leveled it. I, I just didn't feel that these young guys, with the leadership of Saka in particular and Smith Rowe, they, they felt they belonged here, that, that they were absolutely okay with this stage and they were up to it and they could look it straight in the eye, chip on shoulder, wins his penalty against Aspilicueta and uh, grabs that ball. And uh, I, I just loved the way he carried himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, he wins the penalty, he steps up, he takes it. It's a fantastic moment for him. It's deserved for the quality of his play in the match, deserved for his quality of play overall. We deserve to have some calls go for us. As I earlier pr- previously mentioned, uh, Mason Mount should have had at least one red card, if not two. I actually think the one on Nuno is worse than the one on Cedric, but you know, they should both be cards and he should be off, or one of them should be a red card and he should They're be the off. They're classic so, orange cards, aren't they? Yeah, but he doesn't even get a card reds. for both. Yeah. Like, that's the problem, right? Not, so it doesn't make any sense. And John Moss <laughs> is, he's really down near the bottom, one of the worst referees in the league. But like, look, we, we get the penalty. I, ultimately, if you're like, you're an idiot, it's a penalty. Fine. I'm still absolutely over the moon. I just think like, you know, it, it, I saw it the way I saw it. it you know, I, I can't say it any clearer than that. So towards the end, Clive, I mean, um, it's it's interesting because the way we saw this game out, we, um, yeah, well, there, there's a couple of things. Firstly, you know, we, we get the second Eddie and Kedia goal and then we really did sit in and we really did defend. And that scared me at first because I was like, well, based on what we saw in the first half, we're not going to be able to hold out. But interestingly, I thought once we had that lead and once we started to sit in and settled, we did look like we had the ability to keep Chelsea at bay. And I'm curious how you feel about the way we approached maybe the last half hour, defending deep, sitting in, staying compact and organized. You know, We brought on Cedric, obviously, to try to keep it locked down. And of course, one of Cedric's first things is to run forward and and try a cutback. He, he has the pass on to Martinelli that he doesn't make. He tries to cut back instead and it just doesn't come through, come, um, come off. But do you think we, I mean, in hindsight, obviously we got the balance right, but how do you feel about the way we approached that and the way we were able to, I think, really effectively shut the game down in the last half hour or so, the last 20 minutes? Yeah, there's a couple of things happening here from what I saw. I, I remember thinking when Cedric came on, timing was perfect because Saka had developed into a wing back then. So what's the point of having your best attacker as a wing back? Get a wing back, get a wing back on. So I did that really cleverly. And I think they took Eddie off for that time. So was, I'm not he sure was he fading, was. wasn't he? I mean, he had yeah. a great game, but he was really starting to fade. He was walking yeah, around a lot. I can't remember the exact sub, but getting Saka off... I think no. I think it was um, Cedric that came on for Smithrow, I believe, and then moved uh, moved Saka over. Yeah, onto, and then Martinelli for Eddie, right? Then Martinelli for Eddie, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was smart because you now you got a wing back on. So whenever I look at defensive line, I don't you know I don't worry about that. A block's a block, right? It's a five or a four. It doesn't really matter. Three three centre backs in the area. Make sure you you stay tight on the string. What I'm always looking for is the exits. So when we're in the four. Um, you know, we all, sometimes we had like a box in the centre of the midfield, so you had two deep, two high, you know, so Smith Rowe and Odegaard high and Chaka and Elneny low. So you got a box, you got an exit. The key thing when you're defending is always to make sure you have an exit because what really does you is the waves of attack, right? The waves coming back and forth, back, back, back. 
that's what gets you because eventually someone gets a yard on you. But if you can get a good exit and then you can travel and then you can delay and get your defensive breather, then you've got a chance. So I'm always looking at the ways out. And I thought he did really well with that. When Eddie was fading, he put Martin there. You know, I thought Martin Eddie was dangerous. Then he put Saka on the other side when Smith Rowe was fading. And he brought Lacazette on for later for his pace. I'm joking. <laughs> so, like, uh, and, so, and, and so I thought he'd, he managed it well. So even when Cedric came on, he was an exit. You know, he was a really, really vivacious exit. And Nuno, we know you can't control him anyway. He's like he's, he's like he's chasing after the hair, right? So, um, so it's it was very important to have that that ability to spring because that just keeps the people honest. You know, it keeps them honest. The, where we faded recently um, in some games, not recently, I sometimes worry about our ability to spring out. And I think when you're defending, it's not just your line; it's your attacking line. Can you spring out? And we did that really well. I thought we were dangerous for the whole game. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And Paul, the I mean, the good thing about the penalty, right, is it spared us the agony of those, what would have been, you know, balls coming into the box, wave after wave at the end. It, it really killed the game off. But before that, I, I did feel that we had more control over it than, you know, certainly than we had in the first half. Um, you know, and, and I, yeah, I, you know, I think that the... <sighs> It's interesting. I, I hate to go back to confidence a lot because it, I, I am definitely someone who thinks that that can be much more narrative than reality. But as the game wore on, it definitely looked like we believed we were back, sort of, you know, that we could hold them off. And look, they're bringing on Mares, I, I mean, um, uh, Ziyech, and they're bringing on Kai Havertz, and, you know, they're bringing on players that can really hurt you. But they they sort of faded as an attacking force. I thought, even though they had more of the ball, I thought our deep defending worked pretty well. I'm usually not a fan of it, but I thought it was the right move given how scrambled and hectic and chaotic the game had looked in the first half. So do you think we took the right approach and, and got the balance right with the way we defended deep? You know, certainly, look, once we had the penalty, the game was over, but prior to that. Yeah, look, I think we came with personality and presence, but confidence took a little time in this game. Um, certainly confidence on the ball and that built. And by the second half, I think we were pretty secure. I think one of the changes they made in the second half um, due to their frustration was they moved Reese uh, uh, into the wing-back position away from their, their back line and they were starting to swing in a few crosses and they got one or two in that looked a little dangerous. But we bas- apart from that one that got scrambled between Gabriel and... Uh, was it holding and uh, Ramsdale had palmed it back into, he, he could probably have palmed it into a safer area to get it out in the first place. Um, like everything else was very, very secure. There was a real feel that they knew how to do this and they could manage it. And like normally my anxiety levels are increasing, but around the 60, 65 minute mark, I'm like, we can hold this. Um, I really got a sense we knew what we were doing. And it gives us different ways of playing. Um, it was very confidently and competently handled towards the end. It wasn't like Villa was a more fraught finish than this was. Um, and it, it, uh, I, I think Clive did a great job talking about the exits. Um, Nuno and Cedric uh, continued to be threats um, as we played out. So we, we kind of had the best of both of being secure, being able to manage it, being able to keep it calm and being more dangerous than them because 
we're actually very good when we spring out. Um, we have players now that can string it together. Martinelli, uh, Saka, Cedric, Nuno, the, you know, Odegaard, those guys are going to hurt you on the break, which means the other team has to respect you all the time. It, it, like what we've got now is is something, it's a bit like when you're you're coming back for a corner and you got all your players in the box and we have this discussion as well. If you keep one or two players in dangerous positions, they've got to respect that and they've got to pull some of their players out. Yeah, We're so dangerous on the counter at this point with those players, that speed. One of the reasons they had Reese James in their back three originally was it helps them cover speed and also he's had injuries and so they need uh, to protect him a little bit, but they just want him to make f- fewer fast runs. So one of the reasons he was in their back three and Aspilicueta was their wing back was to be able to cover the speed that we're going to see from uh, Smith Rowe. Uh, with Saar on the other side to cover Saka. And like they've just got to respect your speed. And uh, and now we're a team that can sit deep, manage a game, and be m- in many ways more dangerous at that phase of the game because we had by far the better chances in the second half, I think. Yeah. I think it... it, it- it speaks to why I don't like to talk about narrative stuff like culture, confidence, things like that is because I don't have any data I can go on. I don't know, you know, I can speculate based on what I see with my eyes, but you never know for sure. And the same is true of like talking about a manager's confidence in certain players, right? Because who would have guessed that we'd be going to Stanford Bridge without Nenny starting the game? Or who would have guessed, certainly not you, Paul, I think it's fair to say after the Brighton game that Nuno would have been starting at left back at Stanford Bridge, right? And how the manager's relationship with players evolves and how they view the way they can use certain players is really interesting. You know, Pepe not getting on, well, it was a game that needed to be protected, not chased. And so the type of game you're playing or the type of players that come in, the choice to bring in Holding and so he feels he can accommodate Nuno on the left a little bit more, the choice to bring in El Elneny so he has a little more of that senior leadership instead of having Nuno and Sambi and just a very young team generally, and right now, obviously, the hand-wringing will be, oh, well, that's Sambi's Arsenal future in doubt, you know, if Elneny's starting ahead of him. And I think much like the, the Nuno stuff, we're probably just going to have to take a beat and and see how all this plays out because right now we're just trying to get over the line. Um, I want to talk about what this means, but one thing, Tim, that I do want to talk touch on is the spikiness of our players and their willingness to sort of stand up for themselves against Chelsea, but in the right way. So, like, I'll, I'll compare and contrast. Remember when we played that dreadful Leeds team in December and we just dominated them, destroyed them. Mm. But there was that moment where like Shaka just lost his head a little bit. Right. And, and kind of started to aggro for no reason and stomped down on someone. I, I remember being frustrated by that. Cause I was like, what are you doing? There's no need for this. I thought Shaka was a great example last night of the right level of response, standing yeah. up for your team, a little pushing and shoving, showing you're not going to take Mount going in in dangerous ways on your players, you know, getting each other's back. And, and allowing it to waste time and wind Chelsea up, but not making the critical mistake, not losing your head. The ability to be heated and aggressive and confrontational, but not, um, not, not losing your composure. Not yet, we, we, while staying composed. I thought it was the perfect balance. Yeah, it really was. And, and what a performance from Xhaka, by the way. I thought he yeah. was mm-hmm. absolutely outstanding uh, throughout the game. And it's, in a, in a way, um, I, I'm not going to, 
pour over this because it's not worth it at this point and you know this is more of a joyous podcast but in a way sometimes it compounds and makes like when he does lose his head and when he does make mistakes even more irritating because you see this and it's like this is the granite jacker they must just see on the training ground every day that makes managers love him um can, and, and can i just fair, make one point about that though we, yeah, we may sure. have an, a new a new tradition we have to start because um, Eddie and Kedia gives an interview about just wanting to get a run in the side and then scores a brace. <laughs> Granite Chaka gives an interview talking about, you know, his experience with the fans. And then he goes on to have like a man of the match performance at Stanford. Yeah. Bridge. But then Lacazette, Lacazette gave an interview, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> and look what okay. it did. It got him out of the side so that now we can go on and win games. I mean, it's, it's everything's coming up. Arsenal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, it, cause he just, you're right. He had just that right level of intensity. And I, I don't know whether he sensed, um, you know, I've got no idea, but with Lacazette out of the team and now Party out of the team as well, it's like, oh my God, I'm not just one of the senior players anymore. I'm the senior player. It's me. And that's pretty much it. Um, it's the I mean, Will Smith looking around me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, that's probably unfair to Elneny as well. Cause he, he had a very True. good yeah, game he and, did, yeah. and he's a, I mean, he's, he's a senior player in terms of age, but not like a senior first team player like Xhaka is and, I don't know. Maybe that brought the best out of him. Maybe it was just a, like, you're one of about two adults we've got in this team. You can't fuck up tonight. You can't get yourself sent off. And, and you know, just the, the composure in the build-up to that second goal that we talked about earlier with Smith-Rowe is just just absolutely brilliant. And, um, you know, I, I know I've been reading um, stuff about Chelsea um, recently and, and I know, like, they've got issues in midfield at the moment because... You know, Jorginho is not getting in the team. Kante is apparently very, very out of form. And they lost Kovacic, who is like their only midfielder that's playing well, basically. But, you know, that was still Xhaka against Kante to all intents and purposes. And and look, that I'm not going to revise their respective qualities over the course of their careers. Um, but last night, I know who got the better of that one. And and yeah, it 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 was um it was a captain's performance from Jacker without him like wearing the armband or indeed throwing it on the floor and telling everyone to fuck off. <laughs> um, and and he he did just ha- he had like real like dad energy or big brother energy out there, and it, it was it was fantastic to see because I think most of the time Jacker is a really good player, like maybe not elite but really good, um, and then sometimes he can be a bit of an idiot, but this was an elite performance. This, this to me, he looks like an elite player um, last night. And, and, and I think you're right. I think a lot of that comes with the attitude he went into this game with. And maybe it was because it was a bit backs against the wall. Maybe it was like, okay, I'm coming out here with a team of kids. We've lost three games in a row. Um, there's, there's a lot on my shoulders um, this evening. And, and, and maybe that, that little bit of, you know, um, I love that line in the movie Devil's Advocate um, where Al Pacino's character, John Milton, kind of says, um, you know, some people you squeeze them and they focus and some people you squeeze them and they explode. And Shaka kind of does both. But this was a real, he was squeezed and he focused and I, I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, well said. I totally agree. So, look, we we get three points that, I don't think it is an exaggeration to say rescue the season, a turning point in the project. I mean, this feels well, like... The look what you even- just said, Elliot, earlier about we've got Europe now. Now, okay, nothing's guaranteed. But we, we didn't we, feel I that before have. this yeah. game, right? We, we, like, there was the risk of the slide, and, and this 
game really feels like we're back on track. So it's what, you know, what flavor of proper Europe will we get basically at this point? Yeah, I think it's as impactful a game and result as maybe even more so, let's be honest, with what's on the line than the Boxing Day victory over Chelsea because both of them are games that if they go the other way could potentially lead to the kind of existential crisis that has the future of this project in jeopardy. You know, at that point, it was obviously a slide that, uh, you know, someone would eventually have to say enough is enough. And at this point, it could have been one that could have seen us sliding all the way out of Europe to the point we just made. I think Europe is assured now. And now it, it shifts to a slightly different view, which is, and this is why I said, you know, I, when when we were going through the losing streak, I said, I didn't think that the winning streak was a mirage. I thought it was sustainable winning football. Whether we dealt with the challenges of losing players appropriately was a fair question. But, you know, we've said this multiple times. You beat Chelsea and, so, you know, you're right back in a situation where top four is still in your hands. And, and you know, McKellar Tennis said after the game, if you want to play, I told the players, if you want to play Champions League football, you have to be able to come to grounds like this and win. It's a great message, and it's a message received, and and it's a mission accomplished. Clive, the interesting thing now is, you know, I think we're lucky that we play United first on Saturday. If we can beat a, a United that is on the mat, and to be fair, teams on the mat are basically our kryptonite, then Spurs have to go to Brentford, once again looking up at us in the table, and the pressure's on them. And I think that that is, you know, that that could potentially be a really good um, you know, a good dynamic for us. But I'm curious how you view this top four situation and, and what lies ahead because I think Mikel Arteta now has a really, really tricky situation because he just got a huge result in a somewhat bizarre way in terms of the way the first half went with a lineup that I don't think anyone is going to say, well, that's it, it's solved. And you said this on the Instant Reaction Pod, you never arrive, it's always a work in progress. So I'm curious what you think lies ahead for Mikel Arteta between now and Saturday when he's going to face a wounded United, but one that can still be dangerous, having come off a game that will probably leave him with a lot of answers, but probably a lot of questions too. You know, how, how does he approach that? Yeah, I think he's, he's attacking... The, the, one of the big things in, that's wrong in our club, in my opinion, and that's our mentality to deliver under pressure. And we've seen the last three results, we've we've wilted, and I think I will say that against Brighton, I don't think we've selected the right team. That's all. That's all I will say. Um, and there's there's a level of there's one word that captures all this really. It's probably trust. The trust from the outside world, the trust in Arsenal, the trust between the major and the wider group of players. The trust between the fans and the team, we really want to trust. We really want to trust. And every time we trust, then we do something, then a Brighton comes along. Do you know what I mean? And we go, oh my God, we can't trust them. It's all over. Then we get the emotional reaction that we've had the last couple of weeks, which is all part of the individual fans' journey and where they go in, in dark moments. And that's a personal choice, right? If everyone was the same as me, it'd be a pretty boring world, right? So it's a personal choice on where you go in those moments. And I think he's really attacking the mentality. I think he's really putting it on the players to say, you have got a chance and an opportunity. It's there for you. You have the talent. You have to take it. You have to find a reason to take it, not find a reason not to take it. And I think I want to see more of this because I think once we crack this code, the mentality code, the winning mentality code, I think we're going to see more talents join. We're going to see more of the talents we have really explode into towns we hope they're going to be 
And I think it's a really critical time. And I never thought I'd be saying this at the start of the season. I thought it'd be a, a repositioning year before we did a top four year. Right. So last year I felt it was a development year of players. Those players are now in the first team and he's bought a new set. So it's a repositioning and a, a clean up year, a bit of housekeeping to really layer on next year. But we just suddenly we're looking at this opportunity and we're thinking, oh my goodness, is it, is it, can it, will it? You know, it's like, I'm almost scared. I'm almost scared. To, I'm almost scared. I said to Tim before the game, I'm almost scared to go to some games because I, because of the emotional investment we require to actually stand there. You know, it's, it's that close. It's that close. And it is very, very enjoyable, but really nerve wracking at the same time. Right. Because you want to invest, you want to trust, but you're just not sure. Right. So I guess Manchester United, a team that's in ruins, of course, they've taken us off the front pages today with a new manager coming in, which is not bad, actually, because I don't think Arsenal are good in the limelight. I don't think we're good front runners. We need to be quiet, doing our work, doing our, work, doing our business. And hopefully everyone ignores us until we're sitting there in fourth place. So let's see what happens at the weekend. I, I do have a worry. Well, I do. But I'm generally worried about this game because we need to, if we do back it up, I think we're going to get our heads up and go back into trust again. Because I think the next set, I think we'll be, I think we're going to be okay. And as for Spurs, I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. I really am. Yeah, Paul. I mean, how about you? How do you, how do you see the challenge ahead? Like, because I, I think the idea that we like, well, you just run that lineup back out again. You play Holding and Tavares on the left, and you play on Lenny and 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 Shaq in midfield with Nketiah up front. Like, it's so obvious. Just do it again. Like, I think maybe that overrates the the extent to which we, you know, found the solution. This is the hard thing, right? One of the hardest things for a manager to do is when things are going bad, stop the rot, find a way find a way to get it right and stop the rot. I think an easily, equally hard thing to do can be over-indexing a specific game performance as being relevant to what you can expect in the next game, right? And like, you always have to be asking, you know, did that work because of that specific game? Did it work because of because it just works and it will work, you know? And, and so I think that, you know, I'd love to just say United stink. And so it doesn't matter, but like we've seen plenty of times before this season that the opposition being in a bad period is not, is not necessarily any evidence of, of anything that's going to work in your favor. So, I mean, do you have a sense of how, how he should tweak or stick or an- analyze that performance. I mean, Clive and I are going to do a rewatch tomorrow, and I'll be, I'll be curious to see how I feel about that first half, you know, w- without the emotion. But w- what's your take on how we should approach what we just did in light of what's ahead? Paul, on mute. Kotcha. Sorry. Um, yep. I think Chelsea presents a unique set of challenges, and that's why we set up like this. We absolutely won't set up like this against Man United. Uh, Chelsea dominate possession. They stretch the pitch. They hurt you with their wing backs. They've got the movement from Mount and Werner going on all the time. Like, you're just not going to dominate the game. You're not going to own the ball. You're not going to manage possession. Um, I'm sh- sh- the challenge for us a little bit is that United are better when they have to do more of the running themselves. But you can't have two teams sitting there in, in their own uh, defensive third with the ball sitting in the middle of the pitch. Um, we'll, we will take the initiative. We'll have to. And if we're going to do that, we're going to go back to our uh, fourth, 
two three one four three three. The the bit for me the only question that will come out of this is do we how do we play our four three three ish? Is it going to be El Neni? who was asked in this game basically to be the single pivot when we were single pivoting uh, him. Like To Tim's point on Chaka, what particularly impressed me in this game was his contribution in each area of the pitch, attacking, attacking filling in defensively, being the second pivot, but also pushing up at times into kind of more of the 4-3-3. Uh, he, the, it's ridiculous to compare him to Kante as Tim did, but actually, uh, like Kante, he was asked to do a bit of everything everywhere. So next time out, do we go to Sambi if we're going to have a single pivot distributing? Or is Elneny done enough here? And we do like to pick him against United, apparently, for him to get the starting spot. And then the Enkatia 1 versus Lacazette. I guess we've all made it up our mind that Eddie deserves it and Eddie should get it. And I think that's right. I think beyond that, the only other choice is Martinelli or Smith-Rowe. I mean, you kind of can't drop Smith-Rowe, but it's a really interesting selection that he wasn't picked for this and maybe comes back to Clive's point of Nuno and Smith-Rowe in a game like this. But Smith-Rowe's done well against Chelsea in the past, as has Martinelli, I guess, streaking up the pitch, but very much in that role of the, the predator, the pressing line. So I think as well, because we're going to press, that'll be the, or because we did have pressing as a major portion of how we got our offense in this game, to use the American pronunciation. <laughs> um, like that, that's, it, with an, that's with an S-E, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And an emphasis. And like yeah. the emphasis been up front as it was in this game. Like that was a big portion of it. Even if it's not where all the game's goals came from, you can't sit back. And so I think that rattled Chelsea quite a lot in this game, that pressing. We went after their vulnerabilities and that's what you got to do against United. We've got to get up and press. De Gea's terrible with the ball at, the, at his feet distributing. Maguire is that refrigerator you talk about at the moment, more so than ever. You just got to get onto them and press. So, uh, you know, you can't be half and half. We've The last three games were... Um, before this Chelsea game were us being not committed, not believing, not playing our football. So we got to go back full bore to that way because there's no way you can have three, five at the back, be more passive, hit them on the counter against United. We, we got to go back to what we were, a few personnel selections. And I hope the big choice is to press aggressively. That's what I hope because we didn't, we haven't seen that in the, the three games we had our our troubles with. Yeah. Well, I think we should start to wrap up, but Tim, like it definitely feels back on. I think it's back on. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think top four is back on. And like the, the, the beautiful thing now is, and I'm not saying this will happen, if we win all our games, we're fourth. I mean, it's that simple. Mm -hmm. You know, Spurs still have to go to Anfield. So with any luck, we may not even need to win all our games. It is going to probably come down to what we unfortunately were worried about weeks and months ago, which is the trip to Spurs might be a top four decider. And good luck guessing what will happen there. But I think there is a tendency to dismiss this United team for obvious reasons. They look like an absolute shambles that is down tools. But 
being in absolute shambles, as I have repeatedly joked, is our kryptonite. So yeah. do you do you have a feel for but I think the Emirates will be absolutely rocking. Whatever confidence can provide, the team will have, and the United will have the opposite of that. I definitely think it's a case of get that first goal because if quitting is a thing, I think you can get this United team to quit as they did against Liverpool. Mm. But like you gotta come out with the intensity and the energy, and you can't have the swagger of we just beat Chelsea at Stanford Bridge, we're gonna walk over Manchester United. I don't think they'll do that. Would you mix it up a little? Inject just a little bit of freshness that you know, would you bring Martinelli back in? Um, because he's going to be absolutely desperate and ready to go. Would you, you know, would you go back to a Sambi Lakanga at home against a team that's not going to control possession as much? How do you, how do you think Arteta can can or should change this if at all? Uh, and what do you expect the the threat of a wounded United to be? Yeah, so on the threat of a wounded United, I mean, they've got to react, really, haven't they, to that Liverpool game. I guess also they've announced the manager now. So, um, I mean, obviously he's not coming till next season, so you wouldn't call it a new manager bounce. But at the very least, they recognise a lot of them might be playing for their futures. And, you know, there are a lot of them who, if their future isn't at Man United can't exactly expect a much better move. So um, there's that element to it. I, I agree with you. I think we've got to get on top of them early uh, and get them to quit again because if we scored like an early goal or something or really just got on top of them uh, in the first 20 minutes or so, then that, that option's definitely on the table. We've seen it a lot from them. In, in terms of the team, I think he'll go with. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't change it. Um, I think he's, you've kind of got to stick with Inketa. And as ever, it's just that Smith-Rowe-Martinelli bit. Um, and ordinarily, I think you'd let Smith-Rowe keep his place. But again, like, are we managing a physical issue there? Um, and as, assuming, I mean, Arteta seemed to suggest that Tommy Asu was close on Wednesday night. Um, mm. I don't, but he wasn't on the bench, was he? I, I imagine that Tommy Asu will be on the bench before he's in the starting lineup, like because I think what he did at right back, essentially what Arsenal have been looking for in these last few games is that fullback balance, and I think that Arteta's decided rightly that you can't have Cedric and Tavares because they're too similar. Um, so you've you've either you've got to like either go Jacker at left back and Cedric at right back or have a different right back to play Tavares. Um, and so I do kind of expect to see Ben White in that role again. Um, I do think it will be like a white holding uh, Gabriel Tavares back four. I, I do think he'll stick with Elneny as well. I wouldn't be surprised if Elneny sees out the season in that position. And Arteta just says, look, to Sambi Lukonga, look, this is just too important now. Um, but don't worry, we both know Elneny's going anyway in the summer. So it's not like this isn't a long-term thing. This is just a, we got to get over the line um, kind of thing. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Elneny... It, uh, assuming he doesn't drop a stinker anywhere, just to see out the season. And yeah, I, I think Nketi has got to start again. So um, yeah, I, I don't see much change. Uh, may, maybe Martinelli for Smith Rowe and, and, you know, that could be another 60-90 or maybe like Martinelli moves across to striker for the last 20, 30 minutes if, if Nketi is not doing it or he's knackered or something. So I'm not anticipating more than one change. I think there'll be one change and I imagine it might be Martinelli coming in. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it, I, I got to read this out. There's some breaking news that I think is is a perfect way to punctuate a podcast about laughing at Chelsea and, and their collapse and our beating them. 
23-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams and seven-time Formula One World champion Lewis Hamilton have joined Martin Broughton's bid to buy Premier League club Chelsea, a source close to the bid told CNN Sport. Like, that would be sensational stuff. Like, these, these rich athletes who buy professional sports teams like that, I have not seen that work. And I would definitely be here for that over some, like, insane billionaire with, like, incredible, um, you know, resources and business experience but like who knows maybe not but i think that i think that could be a beautiful thing um i think i think that's enough i how about this real really quickly clive prediction for saturday um uh two one i think we'll nick it two one i think it'd be edgy i'll know i feel a lot better if i know what the halftime score is i think saturday morning games always crap right so let's get to halftime in shape and then we'll go from there so yeah, nothing says my weekend is ruined like Arsenal are going to play at 6.30 a.m. local time. <laughs> and like for those poor West Coast people, it's – am I right in saying it's 4.30? Oh, it's a 4.30 kickoff. That's a brutal one. Uh, Paul, prediction? Um, Yeah, I- I'm thinking it could be 3-0 United. I need to say that convincingly because the For people who don't worked. know what that's about, it's because Paul picked 3-0 Chelsea in our pre-match live stream and it, it worked, worked a treat. So, well. so he's trying he's trying to run it back, and I, I am here for that. I respect a, that. A wiser man might say 3-1 to us, but I'm going 3-0 to United. Yeah. You know, it's funny, right? Like, we, we've focused on how thin the team is, and I get it, right? I get midfield looks thin and, and left back we were worried, but, like, I kind of think – that with Nketiah and Lacazette and Pepe and Saka and Martinelli and Smith-Rowe and Odegaard, like, it, you know, none of them are proven, proven, but there's enough there, I think, to just, you know, trouble people. Like, the funny That's thing is it wouldn't spirit. surprise me. This, this, is, this is the thing, right? Like, Tim, would it surprise you at all if, like, Pepe wound up playing a key role in this game. You know what I mean? And no, scored an important well, goal the, the thing is, uh, sorry, not to drag things on too, but I guess a point I did want to come to is that when I was saying like, we, we've been looking for a hero, uh, the, the reality is there isn't, I don't think going to be that hero, but we're going to need everyone to share this. So like, yeah, holding El Nenny, though, you know, Inketia, those kind of squad guys, they came in and did the business this time. I don't think that means they're going to do the business in every game, but th- there's going to be a Pepe game in the run-in yeah. somewhere, Elliot. That That's my prediction. Yeah. Uh, can, yeah. can I say one last thing on this? Uh, I would love it if you would. Let's go 30 uh, more minutes. What the no, hell is I just about? I think it's quite interesting in, in the after-game interviews that obviously Arteta was quite buoyant, and they spoke to him about the, you know, the recent defeats, and he said... I was really pleased with the reaction from the club, the staff, the coaches, the people in the club and the players, how they reacted to the defeats. And on Sunday's training after the Southampton game, he said, if you could have seen the training sessions from El Nenny, Holding and Pepe, and he name-checked them, and Eddie, he name-checked the four of them. And I thought... And that good things happen to good people. There you go, Paul. I know, you're, I know this is your speciality. <laughs> and he said, he said that thereafter. And I think... I was really encouraged by that because you know my thoughts here about making sure people are on the boat, you know, and I think he he got away from that while we were winning, and it doesn't matter now; it's, it's over. Here we are, and I think the boat has now got some more members in it, and so it's quite exciting. And I think there will be a Pepe Day, and I'm here for it. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, it, like big wins. The other thing they do is they get everyone convinced that your decision making is good, right? Like if you keep losing and you're not picking Pepe, Pepe can brood and be like, oh, "You should have picked me. I would have won that game." Or Martinelli can be like, "Why was I on the bench?" The re- not that he would be like that, but my point is, you pick that team. That team gets you a, a monster four-two win, and everybody, 
everybody's buoyed by that. And so now when Pepe's sitting on the bench against Manchester United, instead of maybe brooding, maybe he's like, you know, we might get Champions League and I might get to play my part in doing that. And I, I think it just makes it easier to, to keep people on board with what their role is. We'll see. Um, we're going to do a rewatch for patrons tomorrow. We'll sneak that in. Then the game is a, a fantastic time for for some of the global fan base, but the local fans will enjoy it, I, I have no doubt. And we'll be back with an instant reaction for patrons at full time of that and then the regular pod on Monday and on and on it goes. A lot of twists and turns remain, but this was one of those twists and turns that I think we can all get behind. A really fun day. A great day for the away supporters. Check out those videos. They've been great. If you are a patron, listen to Tim's uh, drunken celebratory uh, intro and outro to that pod. Do not miss it. It is blockbuster stuff. Thank you for being here. We love you so much. We love you for going on this ride with us. Look, there are a lot of opinions that were made during the positive run that were called into doubt during the slump. A lot of opinions given out during the slump that maybe you look a little foolish after the win over Chelsea. This is what football does to you. It, it keeps you on your toes. But this is this is a good thing because it can lift you the way it did the other night. Tim's on Twitter. Smarter. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. I find it very hard to end podcasts. Anybody else knows that? Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo! Yeah, they like. Uh, I live in Minnesota now. I'm not originally from here, but they have this thing called the Minnesota goodbye, where you just keep like you're you're trying to leave a party, but you just keep saying goodbye in a number of different ways and goodbye to people, and then telling another story. And I'm doing that right now. And then there was like a comedy headline I saw that's like like shorter goodbyes at parties or longer goodbyes at parties cost people an average of 22 days of their life every life or what you know what i'm doing it right now my name is alex smithy black man twitter yankee gunner we love you we'll talk to you after arsenal 10 united News.